God, we thank you that we are here this morning and that we can all be together. We thank you that you are Lord and that you've given your word to us to enlighten us and shape us and form us. And so with that, our first scripture passage comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be reading in chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Although I'm free from all people, I make myself a slave to all people to recruit more of them. I act like a Jew to the Jews so I can recruit Jews. I act like I'm under the law to those under the law so I can recruit those who are under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I act like I'm outside the law to those who are outside the law so I can recruit those outside the law, though I'm not outside the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ. I act weak to the weak, so I can recruit the weak. I have become all things to all people, so I can save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the gospel, so I can be a partner with it. And then our second verse is from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. May God's word shape us and form us. Thanks, Catherine. God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. Uh, so we are continuing in our uh, vision and missions uh, series called Our Best Foot Forward, where we go through renews um, vision and dream identity. Um, and the first month, we talked about our Zara verse, which is Isaiah 61, 3 through 4. Um, and then we went through a few of our values. Our main statement is we are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And in that, we value authenticity and, re- and relationship. So um, the idea that everyone belongs in the community. And then secondly... Uh, we love mercy and we do justice. We have a heart, um, as God does, for uh, the immigrant, the refugee, the stranger, the orphan, the widow in our midst. Um, and then finally, we uh, value diversity, um, that God is and his glory is best displayed through the diversity of his children. Um, and now we're following Hugh Halter's um, Tangible Kingdom Workbook Primer. And uh, I talked about being sent last week. We are sent. What does it mean to be sent? Um, What does it mean to be a missional uh, church? And then this week, I'm going to be talking about we are incarnational. Um, What does it mean to embody our faith? And so that's where we are. And thank you, Catherine, for reading the scripture. These are some Seahawk fans, some Seahawk fanatics, right? And... uh, When it comes to football and Seahawks, we have some crazy fans. Um, And Century Link, which is a Seahawks home stadium for Seattle Seahawks, is known to be the loudest stadium in the NFL. And it's proven, it's been proven. They they took some kind of uh, readings, audio readings, and it was between us and Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And uh, we had the loudest kind of decibel reading ever. Uh, in, in history. Um, so we are the loudest field. We have the craziest fans. Um, and we are number one usually every year in causing false start penalties. 
right? So we're so loud that the opposing team can't get their plays off and the players can't hear the quarterback say hike, right? So people are off, or do false starts all the time. And so we're number one in that. And that's why uh, the name 12th man, the 12th man is so like, uh, we love that because we make a difference. The crowd, the 12th, there's 11 players on the field and there's the 12th player in the stands. We make a difference and our loudness makes a difference. So Seattle fanatics equals good. And as a home team, we want this advantage, right? We're not here as fans. If you go to a football game, you're not there to serve the visiting team by any stretch of the imagination. It's not about making things comfortable and easy for the other team. What if we had a servant attitude as the home team? Every time the visiting team huddled up, everyone was like, shh, shh, they're huddling up. Let them make their play. Let them call so they can hear. Or when the opposing quarterback was at, at the line and calling his audibles, Blue 53 or Peyton Manning, right? Uh, making all of his audibles, we were like completely quiet. He needs to be able to say his audibles and the receivers need to be able to hear him. Let's, let's be serving and let's be uh, respectful for the opposing team. No, by no means, right? As a Seahawks fan, as a 12th man, we paint our faces, we get louder, and we're so loud that it's deafening, right? The team cannot function. The other team cannot function. And such is life, right? People are going to be people. It is our natural inclination to protect our identity and preserve our own way of life. It is our tendency to accentuate the things in which everyone in the community holds in common. If you diverge from this, then there will be a mechanism for ostracism, right? We create social, geographical, emotional boundary lines to keep the known and the safe inside and the unknown and the threatening out. Um, next slide. But here are some Christian fanatics, right? Whereas Seahawks fanatics equals good if you're the home team, Christian fanatics equals not good, right? I mean, most of us would probably agree. We've been on the streets, on the street corners, Red Square at University of Washington, in front of Planned Parenthood. Uh, the other day, uh, there's a mosque, the Northgate Mosque, uh, right here, and there, there were Christian fanatics with signs, repent and all that, in front of the mosque on the corner, uh, which is like, why are you there? Like, what, what is the reason for that? Um, but some of these are, are very offensive. And uh, the reason why I bring this up is, last week we talked about sent, like being sent. Right? God is ascending God, and it is part of our identity as disciples of Christ to be sent to go and make disciples of the world. And even as I was preaching that, there's this, there's this other kind of sensitivity or fear that I don't want. What I'm not saying is go and conquer the world, right? Or even as we talked about creation and the mandate uh, by God in Genesis, go subdue the earth or go fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. That's a small space from that to go and subdue and conquer the world and make it yours, right? And so I'm aware of that kind of dynamic. And in the history of Christianity, kind of the uh, missionary mindset can lead to some 
troubling things in terms of how we go into places or go into other cultures and take over, right? Or uh, call people to assimilate into what we're talking, our truth or what we're doing. Um, and that's why uh, I think it's important to talk about being incarnational. We are incarnational. Because if missional means we must go, go into the world, then incarnational means how we go into the world. Does that make sense? Missional means we must go into the world. Incarnational means how we go into the world, right? It's not just about going. We can all go. But that, your posture, right, your hum, whether you're humble or not, your, me, your, your message delivery system, right, that's really important, right? And if one of our values is to be authentic and relational, right, to, to be, to connect with people, um, then we can understand incarnation as it relates to relationship, right? Incarnation is going but also there's a relational component, uh, component to it, right? We're saying we are willing to invest and spend time relationally in order that trust is built and not just come in and have the truth. You've heard of the truth hammer, right? Bring the truth hammer and go, boom, you're wrong, boom. Luke says, turn or burn. Turn now or burn, as you saw in one of those signs. Repent or go to the... Or go to hell. And you can go into scripture and find phraseology like that. You can see scriptures. You can't, Jesus says, repent and believe. Um, but I think what we're talking about here is um, our posture when we go into the world. How, how we interact with people, our neighbors, our loved ones, our friends. Um, and whether or not we're um, honoring the humanity of people, respecting the dignity of people, and loving and showing compassion and walking alongside um, other people. Are you with me, church? Uh, so incarnate means to take on flesh, right? Incarnate means to take on flesh. And uh, this is often related to uh, Jesus' act of becoming human and dwelling among humanity. Uh, this is referred to as the incarnation of Jesus. And Jesus was the embodiment um, of the word or the gospel, right? So John chapter 1, which Catherine read, in the beginning was the word at the top of John chapter 1. And then that says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Right? And the message, Eugene Peterson's translation, actually says, right, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Right? I think that's really awesome. Jesus, God, up there, the word, the eternal word, became a person and moved into the neighborhood. Right? In the flesh was a next-door neighbor. Right? Uh, and then when we look at the first Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians, I believe it was 9, Paul has been addressing uh, divisions in the church, um, in the Corinthian church, and people have been arguing and creating drama uh, over differences in doctrine and what is central to the faith. 
and there's been a there's a lot of factions being formed and kind of division, um, and this conflict is over practices and traditions, and. Paul is addressing this, and the way that he comes at it is by emphasizing um, that the, this drama is actually hurting the church's witness, right? When people outside of the church look at this conflict and this disunity and this bickering and fighting, they're like, what? Right? This isn't something I want to be a part of, right? And um, so he's emphasizing that it's hurting the church's witness, and then he's saying that Proclaiming the gospel, it's got to be free, right? I could, and he makes the point, I, could, I should and could demand to be paid for, by you to get money for preaching the gospel. But I don't. I don't do it because I get paid or get anything out of it. I do it because it's my duty and obligation to proclaim the gospel. And I do it for free, Right? And also, I, I think the second meaning of free is unencumbered, right? I proclaim the gospel without any strings attached, right? It's free to other people. They don't have to, right, honor me for me to love them and, and proclaim the gospel to them. They don't have to give me anything for me to proclaim the gospel. They don't have to change, right, their identity or who they are in order for me to be with them and proclaim the gospel to them. They don't have to cut off an arm for me to come and share the gospel with them, right? They don't have to gouge out this or that in order for me to come and share the gospel with them. The gospel proclamation, the gospel is free. There's no unneeded burdens and obstacles on those outside of the church who would be seeking Jesus. His point is that the community's unity and love for one another is its most powerful witness, and that loving other people should take precedence, precedence over maintaining one's rights. Right? And that's the thing he's getting at is stop fighting for your privileges and your rights. And you're saying, it's my prerogative, right? That's what's causing the conflict in the church. That's what's causing division. Because you're holding on to what you think is right. You're holding on to uh, your, privilege, your privileged ways, your tradition, right? Your tendencies. And that's just getting away from your witness. Strip yourself. Or use the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. It's about love. It's about loving others beyond this place. Um, Paul's uh, motivation and duty is to be a witness to the gospel. He is a servant of the gospel. His posture is one of servanthood. And I think this is what he's getting at when he goes through the whole thing of, I am all things to all people, right? To those under the law, I am under the law. For those who are outside the law, I am as one who is outside the law. To the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. The bottom line of this is that he is being a servant, right? 
when he proclaims the gospel, when he goes out, he's being a servant, just as Jesus was a servant in his incarnation. Jesus was a servant. We're reminded of our call to worship passage, the Christ hymn, right? Um, Where it says, uh, and this is the message version, I think. Uh, Paul is saying, take on the posture of Jesus. Take on the posture of Jesus Christ, who in Philippians, he says, who in the words, uh, who had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status, no, of his status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, Jesus set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. God is the hound of heaven we talked about last week, right? Who is seeking everyone on the planet. He sought after every one of us. Every one of us he sought after. When we've veered away, when we've wandered, when we've been lost, he's sought after and hunted each one of us. And we've come back and we've experienced his grace and forgiveness. And he will continue to do so. And he does that for, for everyone, for all people. He's the hound of heaven. And that's the heart of the incarnation um, as well. Jesus goes all out. He stripped himself of everything. He didn't have to. Right? He had the privileges and the rights of a deity, of God himself. And he stripped himself of that and came down and even suffered for our sake. The ultimate act of servanthood, the ultimate act of self-emptying. And the fancy word for that is kenosis, right? The kenotic right? act of Jesus Christ, right? a self-emptying. Jesus identifies and loves the world so much that he came onto our turf, that he moved into the neighborhood, right? He had a castle in the sky, right? And he moved into the neighborhood to be with us. Amen. The gospel is free. Paul was not asking to get paid for his work. If we are being incarnational, we won't get paid for loving on people humbly on their turf, right? The gospel comes with no strings attached. Proclaiming the gospel incarnationally means being flexible, having flexibility, doing a little things a little differently than you're used to in order to do it with other people, right? Eat different food because they're eating it. Right? Listen to different music because they're listening to it. Um, the gosh, this is free, right? It won't necessarily translate into more bodies in the seats at church. 
right? If we're doing, if we're being incarnational and loving our neighbors out there, it's not necessarily feeding into our programs or what we're doing, right? We're not necessarily inviting them, hey, come to our thing over here, our whatever, uh, our fall festival, Halloween party, right? Come and, you know, get off the streets and eat pumpkin pie and stuff like that. All that stuff, I'm not ripping on it. It's good. It's community. It's good. It's good. But it won't necessarily, if we're spending our time being relational, investing in people out there and being and walking alongside them, right? There's not necessarily going to be a, a warm body in the seat to show for it, right? They came to church. That's the end goal. They came to renew. Woo! Mark went up for Dave for inviting someone to renew. Um... Are you with me, church? Am I off? Um, We won't get applauded and get credit. We won't get to introduce the people we are loving and say, hey, this is my neighbor who I've been loving incarnationally in hopes that he will say yes to Jesus and start coming to church. Right? It doesn't work that way. People aren't projects. And it won't feed our programs and blow up our Twitter feeds. And you may be asking, but what does it mean to make myself a slave to everyone, a servant to everyone? Does it mean that we are doormats? Does it mean that we have no conviction or values? Does it mean that we do whatever others tell us to do? Does it mean that we give up all of our convictions in order to relate to others? Does it mean that we serve people's felt needs and never speak to their deeper spiritual needs? Does it mean that we honor their beliefs and practices, never calling them to repent of their sins and come to Christ Christ in faith? Um, And these are all good questions, right? When Paul says, I must be all things to all people, is he saying just be a chameleon and be kind of like, it's all good? Oh, yeah, murdering people, yeah, it's all good. I'm going to be that too. Because I'm all things to all people. I'll be a murderer too, because you are. Just to be build trust. Is he saying that? Or is he saying that we never proclaim to the world, we're never salt and light in the, earth, in the world. We're never like, we, I'm a Jesus follower. This is what I'm about. I don't believe the same thing that you believe. Is that what he's saying? That we just are spineless when it comes to the truth, when it comes to our convictions and our beliefs? doesn't mean that, oh, what it means to be incarnational is, right? I drink beer too. I smoke pot too. I'm cool, you know? Does it mean that? I don't think so. It means that we honor people. We honor the dignity of all people. We respect people. And we want to be around people, right? And be friends with people and love people and walk alongside them. And it's a posture. Does that make sense? Sometimes in the church, or as believers, our posture is, we are righteous and they're not righteous. Right? And they're gonna have to walk two steps towards us in order for us to spend time with them or to love them. Right? You gotta clean your act up before you can walk into this, our presence. Rather than thinking, oh, I'm gonna take two steps out to other people, right? I'm gonna be interested in the things that they're interested in. I'm going to spend time um, doing the things 
um, that they're doing. Um, and this is why I say that it's free, right? Because it takes a lot of time to build relationships, right? As I've been in my own life focusing on loving neighbor and just kind of living incarnationally and building relationships, I'm like, I always look at my watches like, people are like, let's go out to happy hour. Let's hang out after the game. Let's do this. And I'm like, I got children. I have a wife, <laughs> right? I have to do pastor things. I need to do my pastor stuff. I need to prep my sermon. Like there's always some excuse. And I'm like, it's taking me away from the things I have to do. Right? And that's kind of backwards, right? The whole point is, that's what it means that proclaiming the gospel is free. Right? It's time consuming. Right? You're investing in people. You're loving on people. And you might not have product from it that you, you can't punch in and punch out in the time clock, right? It's endless. And yet it's our call that we are sent into the world and we are incarnational, is that we're called to build relationships with a posture of being a servant. Just as Jesus emptied himself, we empty ourselves of our agenda, right? Of our need to look a certain way in order to be with people. Does that make sense? It's an act of servanthood. Or you can call it holy flexibility, right? Submitting yourselves, being incarnational, means to submit yourself to the needs of others for the sake of the gospel. God has created us for a call greater than our own freedom. We have a purpose from God greater than ourselves. We are set, sent as servants to others for the sake of the gospel. As the church, we are the body of Christ. We are the embodiment of Christ's love in the world. To be incarnational means we empty ourselves, letting go of our rights, our identity, our privilege, in order to be servant to those who don't know Christ, who do not love Christ's church. Our duty is to proclaim the gospel free of charge. This is Paul's point. He preaches the gospel free of charge. He is a servant to the gospel. Therefore, he's all in and will do anything to remove encumbrances that may exist for people gaining access to the gospel, to the church. So we will go as a church. We will go to people, take on their habits, take on their culture, take on the things that are important to them in order to meet them with the love of Jesus on the same playing field, on safe ground. To be incarnational means we don't demand people come to our turf, right, in order to be changed. But we will willingly go to their turf to demonstrate Christ's love. It is living out our sentness in the world, but it is further our posture as we are sent. Our posture is one of humility, openness, compassion, and with a self-awareness to avoid any unneeded baggage we may place 
on others. Jesus, who had equal status with God, think, didn't think of the status, didn't think of himself so much uh, that he had to cling to this, these advantages, but he emptied himself, right? And became human and suffered unto death. And this is, this is our call, to move into the neighborhood, to be with our neighbors, and to serve them for the sake of the gospel.